Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Before we get into today's podcast, I just want to give everybody a reminder that we had the UK Investor Magazine virtual investor conference which took place on Tuesday so all of the recordings of the company presentations are now available on the UK investor magazine website so for today's podcast we're very kindly joined by Alan Green Alan thank you very much for being with us today hello Jonathan good to be back so we, we've got a number of, uh, of stocks that we're going to cover later on in the podcast. But to start with, Alan, let's just take a look at, uh, at markets and the most pressing issues at the moment. And that, of course, is, is Brexit. That's very much um, in the horizon in terms of how we're going to be seeing markets play out. I mean, in your view, when you're looking at Brexit now, there hasn't been a great deal of fallout in, in markets recently. I mean, do do you think to some extent that people are, are pricing in a, a very bad um, fallout from, from the Brexit scenario? Or, or do you think that this is still to come and, and really markets are pricing that they're going to come up with that, with an agreement? I think uh, the outcomes either way are priced in. And I think we said, we've said before that um, this is... It's still a giant game of brinkmanship, who blinks first. And I think the EU, um, you know, let's not forget that this works both ways. Um, you know, if we leave without a deal, it obviously impacts on the UK economy on, on a number of levels, but it will also impact on the EU economy. And we've we've had uh, the, the EU Parliament have been warned by many, many members not to treat us with the arrogance that they were treating us um, or, or the, the way in which they were treating us a year ago. And I think we have seen Barnier um, concede a little more and um, and uh, he's seemingly prepared to extend the talks up to the point where we can just get everything resolved. So I think we will leave with a deal. I think we will we will come out with, with a deal that works for both parties. And the markets, I think, are looking at this and thinking, and taking the view that um, that we will we will sort of come out of it with a deal. And let's not forget, I mean, you know, everyone's making this out to be a massive thing. Yes, it is a huge thing. But um, afterwards, if something isn't right, um, nobody's going to be foolish enough to say, oh, we can't fix that. It's too late now. We can go back and revisit it. You know, I, um, I, I do think, you know, everyone's thinking the world is going to end on that day. It won't. It will continue. Um, and I think the market's... Uh, do accurately reflect that view. Um, if something needs fixing or tweaking or changing, um, uh, then it will be fixed. I- I'm absolutely sure of it. Okay, so it's obviously not just the markets that are, that are keeping an, an eye on Brexit. We, we had the Bank of England, which is going to be um, giving their sort of verdict on markets with their decision on, on interest rates and stimulus later on uh, today. So it's widely expected that they will hold off and refrain from taking any action uh, at this point in terms of uh, more, more stimulus. But th- there has been talks of, of negative interest rates. Of course, we, we, we've seen it in Europe. We've seen it in, in Japan. I mean, in your view, Adam, I mean, should this be something that investors are, are concerned about, this this concept of taking uh, rates negative in, in the UK? And, and do you think that the markets are are ready to some extent to, to take on the, the fallouts or, or the reaction 
if the Bank of England was con- to con- consider and actually take uh, rates negative? Well, of course, the banks get charged to part their money w- with the with the US Fed or, or the central banks uh, when there's a move to uh, negative interest rates. And of course, what that means is the banks pass on those uh, fees to savers. So um, th- there was a survey undertaken by Aegon, um, the insurer, um, and uh, Aegon uh, did a um, undertook a survey of savers, and forty three percent of those asked that they would withdraw their money from the bank and put it into a stocks and shares ISA or straight into the stock market to boost their pension positions. So, ironically, if there is a move to interest rates, um, there does seem to be there seems to be good anecdotal evidence supporting the, uh, supporting possibly increased liquidity, increased volume in the markets, which of course should um, could well push the markets higher. Indeed, and I, th- I think that's something that we've seen in in, in Europe. Uh, you know that additional liquidity is, is seen as good. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's not a given that the, uh, uh, the UK central bank, uh, the bank, the Bank of England, are going to take uh, rates negative. But certainly, that conversation is becoming more prominent now. Uh, and I, I think it's one of the tools that they will keep in reserve if we do see a continued. Uh, negative fallout from uh, from of course covid-19 and uh, as we just discussed there on uh, on brexit so just before we get into these three stocks alan we we're, we're moving towards the end of, of 2020 moving into to 2021 i mean in, in terms of the sort of biggest themes um for, for markets going forward i mean do do you see a change in in um 2021 i mean of course it, this this year, we, we've been discussing uh, COVID nineteen. Of course, that's the most formal, m- most issue in in markets. Um, we, we've had the U.S. elections. Uh, Joe Biden will be the new president, and of course, Brexit. You know, they've been the the, the three foremost themes for the year. I mean, do you think that the the themes for twenty twenty are, are going to be um, sort of stuck around those issues still, or do you see something new coming in and, and markets uh, the, the, the narrative really changing? Uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be more the same. Certainly for the first part of the year, um, and obviously COVID, we're now seeing uh, a different strain of the virus in in I think Kent um, uh, that's been identified already. So we know COVID is going to mutate. So that battle will continue. And we have the vaccines now, but there are companies developing improved methods of testing, identification, uh, and, and also ways of administering the vaccine as well. You know, there are nasal, uh, there's a nasal application um, uh, um, being trialled now at uh, by Open Orphan um, in, in East London with a company called Codigenics. Um, so, so this is going to carry on developing. Uh, in regard to uh, the general economy, we're going to see a lot of fallout. We've already seen, of course, fallout with Debenhams and... Um, and uh, Arcadia stores, there's going to be more retail fallout. I think um, in the January trading statements in the new year, I think it's going to be, uh, we could see um, some more companies go to the wall by the end of quarter one. Very sad, but that's just the way the retail sector is evolving. Um, ironically, I was driving back down the M1 last night um, on a completely separate matter, and I drove past, there's a huge uh, logistics centre, um, I think, uh, close to rugby. And, of course, you've got this giant Amazon building, which must be about half to three-quarters of a mile long that uh, dominates the, uh, the side of the motorway. But um, so I, I think uh, the online companies um, are going to carry on 
um, uh, growing um, and and, uh, and uh, you know uh, the the logistics uh, companies that support those uh, that distribution network uh, will continue to grow as well. Um, and of course, Brexit. Um, yeah, uh, we've already said uh, we think the market's got that. I think the market's got that priced in. Um, the other thing, of course, is that the cost of the COVID crisis. Um, I think is some. $28 trillion globally to date, that's going to rise a lot more. And of course, that is going to have the net effect of impacting on currency as governments uh, continue investing into assets to support the market. So um, it's going to drive gold miners further. We've seen a big run this year already for junior gold miners, but most pundits are looking at gold uh, in 2021 as being a, a, a key asset to hold. Some are, some are citing, you know, uh, uh, expectations of the gold doubling value to five five and a half thousand dollars per troy ounce. I mean that's probably a bit fanciful, but certainly I think the trend is is going to be up in the new year. Indeed. So I mean, when we're sort of looking at at uh, let's take the FTSE one hundred. So we, we, you've seen a uh, you know a reasonable rally for, from the lows, but we, we're still lagging. Uh, the the U.S. counterparts in terms of you know overall performance, mm. and that's that's probably something that's quite frustrating for for UK based investors that have uh, the majority of of their exposure here in in the UK. I mean, what what's your what's your feeling sort of going forward into twenty twenty one? If we're looking at London's main index, do, do you see that there being some catch up to to the U.S. Um, counterparts there, and you know, possibly some opportunity in uh, in London listed stocks. Or do you still mm. think that um, you know, due to the uh, you know waiting towards tech stocks, which has been you know, very much an investor favourite in the in the United States, that we d- we're just not going to see the returns here in uh, the FTSE 100 that we're that we're seeing over over in the United States? Well, um, I think uh, we've said before that um, uh, the, the US sneezes, we catch a cold, and of course. The opposite um, is often true, but uh, we do very much lag the U- the um, the US in terms of um, our our, our um, exchange uh, performances. Um, having said that, um, I think there is a strategy, um, particularly with the junior tech stocks, and we've spoken about Myriad before, and of course uh, the the uh, the uh, t- uh, techn- advertising technology company that inserts content into uh, programming. Um, they listed, due listed on the US uh, early, the, early this year um, in, in quarter three and saw their share price jump as a result from 20p to, I think, 35, 40p. It's currently trading at 46p. So um, they're, uh, if there's a, a growing tech company, I think the strategy in that company has got to be to look at a dual listing in the US. And ditto with pharma companies too. We're seeing a lot of pharmaceutical companies that have done well through having a, a listing on the NASDAQ or similar. Um, but um, I think the the UK markets will always play catch up. I think we, we'll need to see some firm data of economic recovery in the UK before the markets start to play catch up. But certainly at current levels, I do believe the market does still offer good value. Indeed. Now, I think that's going to be an interesting story that plays out, especially in the first quarter of uh, 2021. So, let, Alan, let's now move on to the individual equities that we're going to discuss the uh, today. And, and the first of these is bid stack. So th- this is one that we've we've discussed in, in great detail. And I did say earlier on this year, if we didn't see materially higher revenues in the second half of, of 2020, 
Um, it probably wasn't going to happen at any point uh, for bid stack at all. However, they've put out a reasonably positive um, trading statement uh, this morning. We're seeing shares up about 25% up to 7p. Um, what, what are you taking away from, from the trading update, Alan? Well, it, it, it's it's the trading update we were looking for, I think, Jonathan. And so I know you. I know when we've spoken in the past, you know you've you've been highly skeptical of their model and uh, taking it forward. But um, um, Bitstack, of course, I, I mentioned Myriad just now. That there are some similarities um, between the two. In of course, Myriad inserts content, advertising content into live streaming TV uh, and programming. Um, uh, Bitstack has developed a uh, a platform where it inserts advertising content into live gaming and of course this is a huge market that outstrips tv and online media uh, i think combined it's just vast um it's currently 151 billion um global marketplace expected to rise to 256 billion by 2025 and there are well over 3 billion gamers worldwide um and there's an awful lot of money spent in this area and of course we've got we've seen esports emerge um uh, Bitstack has a partnership with uh, with uh, one of the, uh, the the esports ventures that we've discussed in the past. Um, but the uh, as Bitstack have grown and evolved, they um, the CEO James Draper, of course, last year um, um, put out the market expectations for greater revenues than were actually delivered. So of course there was it was a disappointing year for them, and and of course um, James Draper himself came in for. Quite a quite a slating online, and it's notable since then that he has been very cautious in his statements and what he says to the market. Um, so, of, of course, the Bitstack have throughout the year been developing and testing their program, and in the in the uh, results today, um, that they declared. I'll just go back to the half year revenues. They declared half year revenues of three hundred thousand, up from thirty thousand the previous year. Um, cash of about six million at the bank. Um, and since then, the company have been uh, conducting their work with quiet efficiency in quarter two. And I think that's James referring to the fact that they're evolving the business. They're not shouting about it to the market. They're just going to uh, update as and when significant events happen. Um, the company's seen a step change. Um, average value orders are increasing significantly. And there's been a meaningful shift in in the, uh, the, the development uh, with the group. Um, and they're seeing... Um, that they have partnerships now with some of the world's largest video games group um, and they're generating revenues now from these ads and with many brands um, what were originally tests are now evolving into on-plan advertising so in other words the, the testing phase we could say is probably nearing completion and we're now starting to see meaningful uh, revenues generated from the advertising and of course this is revenues generated for advertisers number one, and also for, for bid stack number two. They've also identified a number of new markets they're going after. Um, but I think most importantly, uh, in, in financial terms, they've really drawn a line in the sand today and said that they are on track to exceed market expectations for the year. And I think that's the that's the important uh, takeaway from this. Um, you know, bid stack um, disappoint, disappointed last year, but I think now this is the statement that the market's been looking for. Um, and let's not forget, you know, the they have um, they have a very experienced um, uh, a board. Um, of course, James Draper, I mentioned. We've got uh, Francesco Petrozelli, uh, ch uh, chief tech officer and co-founder. 
um, Donald Stewart, non-exec chairman for Fragility and uh, and, and uh, others. Derek Wise, the non-exec, former Grapeshot uh, chief tech officer. Uh, of course, Grapeshot is now Oracle. Um, Mike Hayes from Sega Nintendo. John McIntosh uh, uh, from Fragility. And then there's an advisory board. Andrew House from uh, PlayStation Sony. Um, Will Kesse from Ad Colony. Walt Disney. Brian Nader, EA Games. Uh, Jonathan Epstein, GameSpot, um, Pete Beanie from Spotify. So all these people are on an advisory board um, with Bidstack, helping the company to fine-tune, tweak the platform, and get it right. And I think, um, as I said, we've, we, Bidstack are now nearing the end of that testing process. They're starting to see meaningful revenues come in. And I think it's an incredibly exciting prospect. And certainly, you know, we're seeing the shares up um, 22% at the moment in early trade. So... Very encouraging, uh, 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 and, and you know, very much looking forward to what twenty twenty one will deliver for the group. Indeed, I mean, if you're ta- if you're taking the uh, the trading statement there on face value, um, very encouraging words written there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what those numbers actually look like uh, yeah. in the uh, in in the full year. Because you have to bear in mind now that this is a company of a, a twenty seven there or thereabouts, twenty seven million market cap. If they were to see, you know, roughly a doubling uh, of revenue in the uh, in the first half, to say, you know, argument's sake, six hundred thousand in the second half million revenue for the year, they'd still be trading at, at, at twenty seven times uh, twenty seven times the, um, the the sales there. So that's going to be um, something that, that I think uh, the the market will will pay some attention to, given the number of new entrants coming into this market. So again. Very much looking forward to see what these numbers are in the new year. I'm sure, Adam, one that we'll be uh, we'll be discussing them. I think also the Myriad comparison uh, is worth looking at. Bearing in mind, Myriad are generating revenues, I think, for about 2.2 million for uh, the current year, um, or expected to deliver. They have a market cap of 110 million now, and that's um, obviously. Uh, after their listing in the US. Now, of course, what Bidstack will do in the longer term, who knows? But um, I would I would expect that uh, they may well be uh, they may well be looking in that direction. But that's just my speculation. There's no the, the company's not said anything about that at all. But yeah, I, I think um, I, I think uh, the US markets, Nasdaq in particular, values technologies on a far racier rating than the UK. So um, so I think uh, yeah, 2021 is going to be a very interesting year for. Um, for Bidstack. Indeed, indeed. So look forward to going through those numbers when we when we get them. So m- moving on now, Alan, one that we have discussed in, in detail before, but there's been a raft of news for them. It's ECR Minerals. What's the latest from them? Okay, ECR Minerals, um, Epicode ECR, um, an incredibly exciting year of developments for the group. And of course, I mentioned earlier, we spoke about gold, uh, the, the, the potential for gold going forward. Um, ECR have a, have um, a number of 100% owned prospects uh, smack bang in the middle of Victoria, Australia. Um, and the Victoria area is, um, it's uh, got a great history for gold mining. Um, the Kresic, uh, uh, the Kresic uh, license owned by um, ECR is uh, close to the Ballarat gold mine, which has been operating for years. Um, and there is a geological feature that runs through Ballarat that runs into the Kresic Prospect. Um, currently, uh, well, in 2019, uh, some drilling was undertaken there, 
and um, some very significant uh, um, samples were were, were, were located and, and, and identified. Um, up to 80, 80 grams per tonne was the best sample uh, pulled out of the ground there. Um, they are currently talking with partners. Um, COVID uh, and restriction, movement restriction in Victoria has, li has limited um, uh, the ability of some of the potential partners to get to site, but uh, nonetheless, um, discussions are continuing with third parties, and we expect to hear some news on that very soon. Um, worth bearing in mind, of course, there are a lot of similarities with Greatland Gold um, and the Haverian Prospect. Um, Greatland Gold, uh, of course, um, uh, joint ventured with Newcrest Mining on the Haverian Prospect, um, uh, the, the Haverian Gold Mine. There's uh, a, an estimate of 4.2 million ounces uh, of gold in the in uh, the Haverian resource for gold, for Greatland Gold, um, and Greatland Gold now with the joint venture owns thirty percent of that and has a one point two billion market cap. ECR of course um, owns the Creswick Prospect, the Bayliston Prospect. I'll come on and talk about Bayliston in a second. It has royalty agreements on prospects for Avoca, uh, Mournbull, and Timor, uh, where it's already received cash payments, and the company is is well funded. Um, ECR currently has a market cap of just uh, 26 million. So, you know, there's there's huge growth potential here going forward. Moving on to Bayliston. Bayliston is uh, is northeast of, of Victoria. Um, uh, ECR have now set up a uh, an operational centre at Bendigo, which is central Victoria. And Bendigo has there its brand new um, diamond drilling uh, rig, which it now owns outright. Um, and uh, it has an operational headquarters there where it can obviously uh, take uh, or, or, or transport the drilling rig to either Creswick or Bayliston um, or the Tambo Prospect as required. So Bayliston, there are a number of workings there. The HR3, uh, Historical Resource 3, the largest of the workings. The Black Cat Prospect um, is notable. And in all these prospects, they've already undertaken uh, drilling and sampling in previous years. Um, the Black Cat uh, prospect is immediately to the south of a license area that Newmont Mining has applied for. And um, uh, Craig Brown, the CEO, has already said that the company um, the company has, has had interest from bigger players, some of whom are going to come and view uh, the, uh, the Bayliston uh, the, the Bayliston prospects. Um, of course, to the west of uh, Bayliston, you have the Fosterville mine, um, which is the most profitable gold mine in, in that region in Australia. And um, it's, it, as Craig said, it's literally printing money, um, uh, producing about half a million ounces per year. Its owners, Kirkland Lake Gold, uh, bought the mine um, several years back, seen a 2,200% increase in in uh, uh, the share price since then and made a number of its shareholders millionaires. Um, and uh, the, the company, the, the production costs for Fosterville are some of the lowest in the world uh, for, for, for a producing gold mine. So all bodes very well for both Kresge and Bayliston. Um, the company acquired the Tambo licenses, uh, which are in eastern Victoria, two new license areas in, um, in Swifts Creek, Omeo and the Haunted Stream, which is a fantastic name for a gold prospect. There is recorded gold production of 205,000 ounces and 25,000 ounces in those two areas. Um, but what's, what is of note is that the um, incumbent geologist at ECR Minerals, uh, a chap called Dr. Rodney Boucher, uh, grew up in Bruthen, which is near to Tambo, 
and did his third year thesis um, um, at university on the Tambo crossing. So he has a lot of knowledge of the area too. So in summary, there are a number of prospects, uh, gold prospects for ECR that are coming to fruition. And uh, you know, note the com- the valuation comparison with Greatland Gold. Um, you know, Greatland Gold's one point two million valuation with thirty percent of the Haverian resource with Newcrest. Um, if anything like this happens for ECR, it could be very exciting indeed. I mean, look at looking at this chart over the the, the last um, three months or so. Very exciting moves here from beneath two pence, well beneath two pence, up to now currently trading. Um, with a buy price of uh, just above four. I mean, where, where, where do you think this could go? Obviously, a very difficult question to to uh, to answer, Adam. But, we, you know, it seems like we, we're on an exponential move to the upside. I mean, where, where do you think this valuation could take the share price? That's not for me to say, uh, Jonathan, because it, it all depends. I mean, I think if... What you can say is a bit because, of course, we're all looking for benchmarks in this market and comparisons. And I think if you look at Greatland Gold, uh, you know, where Greatland Gold was at the start of the year compared to where it is now, it's got a valuation of $1.2 billion, um, and it owns 30% of uh, the Hoverian resource. Now, if uh, Kresic is proved out, I should also note with Kresic that um, uh, ECR also put in an application for the mining license area immediately south of of Kresic, which is called Alta Ballarat. Um, and they also uh, uh, yesterday announced that they brought in um, a, a geologist, Adam Jones, as a non-exec on the board as well. So Adam is very knowledgeable uh, in the region and has worked with many companies on prospects in the region too. So they're, they're really growing the, uh, the, uh, the expertise that they have on tap um, uh, on the board there. Um, so really, it's I, I think if we see a joint venture in Kresic, Along the lines of anything that uh, that uh, Greatland Gold have done with Newcrest Mining, then you know how long's a piece of string? I, I don't know, but I, I think certainly certainly in excess of where we are now. Yes, indeed. So a very interesting story there, and I'm sure one that we'll uh, we'll be touching on again because it, there's. Uh, uh, been a raft of, of positive news, and I, I feel there's there's probably some more to come from uh, from ECR. So, moving on now, Alan, to uh, uh, the last stop that we're going to discuss today, and again, it's one that we have uh, have been through in some detail in the past. This, this is on the market. Um, the, the the property website is is making inroads into into a market that's previously been dominated by Zoopla and Rightmove. They're they're up five uh, percent today, but they've had a a recent instalment of uh, of in terms of an update. A trading update, um, giving give some guidance on uh, on recent performance. What what's been uh, what's been happening there on the markets? Well, I think I think what's interesting about on the market, and again we're looking at upside potential and comparisons, such as the comparison I made with ECR and Greatland Gold just now. On the market are a property portal for agents and new home developers uh, selling or renting. Um, and unlike, of course, the market leader is, is right move. So if you talk to anyone about uh, property portals, you've got Zoopla, but Rightmove, I think, is the best known and the highest profile. Um, and of course, Rightmove has a market capitalization, and, um, uh, and uh, which really uh, reflects the valuation placed on this um, on this online property portal. Um, so 
uh, on the market have developed um, a model which is different in the agents, the estate agents themselves are at the heart of the strategy um, as their shareholders. They've come, they bring them as shareholders. And the program that on the market are undertaking, um, once it's completed, they'll have up to 3,000 or just under 4,000 estate agents and less the agents operating uh, just under 7,000 offices nationwide as shareholders. Um, and having these people on board, obviously, there's there's support because they automatically go to the site and um, will we'll spend money on the site. And uh, um, the the company uh, on the market also uses um, the portal to advertise new homes. So it's working with the likes of Taylor Wimpy, Barrett's Persimmon, Bellway, seven out of the 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 ten UK's ten largest house builders. Um, and and of course, this is uh, this is very much the the disruptive um, company that's come into an established marketplace with with Rightmove, and it looks as though they're already having an impact. Um, earlier this, this year, Rightmove announced its half year results. Revenues have fallen thirty four percent to ninety five million. Operating profits down forty three percent to sixty one million, um, and uh, and earnings per share and. Uh, Average revenue per, per advertiser um, had also fallen substantially too. Um, now, with um, on the market, I, I should also, also say that Right Move has a market cap of around five billion too. So, I mean that that gives you some sense of the of the valuation that's placed on the market. Uh, on the market shares, on the other hand, have a market cap of ninety one million. Um, and on uh, December um, the 14th, early this week, uh, the company announced it expected to deliver revenues and adjusting, adjusted operating profits above market expectations for the full year to the 1st of January. Um, the revenues will be no less than 22.5 million. Now, right move half year revenues at 90, 95 million. So, uh, you know, obviously, uh, obviously uh, the, the, the revenues are still way in excess of on the market. But um, the on the market also has net cash of 11 million with no borrowings um it will be advertising extensively uh, as it goes into 2021 um to uh continue growing its market share but i think the story here is that as right move valuation falls on the markets is increasing because on the market are basically taking away market share from right move um so you've got my right move with a valuation of uh, uh well over five billion five five and a half billion and um, on the market with a valuation of 91 million, um, probably probably um, the, the valuation for on the market should be somewhere between the two. But either way, um, given the way they're growing the business, given the, the market share they're gaining, and also the fact that they've got really the operators in the market, the estate agents, the letting agents in as shareholders, to me says that once they've got um, a significant market share alongside right move, which they they're already moving towards. Um, they will be the they will be the the force to beat. So um, either way, I think uh, the shares. You know, we can see the uh, the growth the shares have already delivered in two thousand twenty, and I think we're going to see another year of exponential growth for the company in two thousand twenty one. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.